Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back for episode nine of the Believe in Padres Prospects podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. San Diego's number one sports podcast network. It's Wade, it's Ryan, and it's a pretty sad day. It's, it's going to be a sad show because uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Is, looks like he's going to be out for the rest of the season. I don't think that's official yet. They've. I thought it was official. I thought they said that there's a very good chance he's going to be out for the rest of the season. Which so he's done. He, that that kind of means he's done. And at this point, I'd rather him just be done than try to rush him back. Or There's no reason for him to come back. So None at all. What's the point? I thought this was pretty surprising news with the back spasms because he's 20 years old. And that's kind of a, an unusual time to get a back injury, I thought, because I didn't have any back issues. And I played sports my whole life. I didn't get... Such an athlete. I know. Great athlete. <laughs> I didn't have a back problem ever until I was like 28, 31 now. And if you hurt your back, like that's that's one of the worst pains. You, you can't move your body. Have you ever had any back issues? Knock on wood? No, I have not. Um, so I thought it was just going to be like a few weeks to a month maybe of rest. And now they're just going to shut them down for the whole season, which I, again, it makes sense, but I was just surprised that a 20 year old would have a back injury like this, a back spasm that would force him to miss the entire season. The kind of injury prone. The only other guy I thought of that was young that had back issues recently has been Corey Seager. Uh oh. And he's been kind of garbage for the last two years. He started off really well. We're going to get into him. He, he comes up later in the show, but he's become injury prone the last two years. And is, if Tatis is a guy that is going to battle injuries at such a young age already, that doesn't get better as you get older. It doesn't bode well for his playing style. No, he plays really hard all the time, which is great. And he's fun to watch. And he's, you know, making acrobatic plays on the infield. He's tagging up on pop-ups to second base and scoring. He's doing matrix moves under tags, but he plays kind of reckless and wild. And he's, there's this play who's sliding into third base where he's stealing third for whatever reason. I don't even remember why he was stealing third and his arm got caught under him. Do you remember the play I'm talking about? No, his arm gets caught under him and he kind of slides awkwardly head first in third base. And I thought like separated shoulder maybe, or who knows what, but just like weird stuff like that seems to happen to him all the time. And now he's going to have this back issue and it sucks. What was it? What was the play that caused the back spasm? So I didn't actually see the play or maybe what caused it. It could have been a swing or who knows he's running and something happens, but they're just saying it's a stress reaction in his back and he's most likely done. Shout out to uh, Pete Alonso for saying, quote, that's tough to see, quote, end quote. Wow, what a douchebag. <laughs> he really wants that award, and he's trying to fake humble us. Like, get out of here. Did we just become the biggest Braves fans? Mike Soroka for Rookie of the Year? Yep. That's what we're pulling for, yeah, because I Alonso, we're recording this on Sunday, August 18th, and Alonso just hit his 40th home run of the year. But that's all he does. He's no value on defense. He's no value on the bases. He doesn't hit for a high average or get on base. All he does is hit home runs. Like Everybody hits home runs. So can we calm down on Pete Alonso? I think he's locked it up. 40's great, but that's he's a one-trick pony. It's his award to win. Learn some new tricks, pony, if you're going to be pony of the year. I want multiple tricks out of my ponies. But Stays healthy. <sighs> plays first base. Anyway, let's get to let's close the book on Tatis. Three seventeen average, three seventy nine on base, five ninety slugging for a rookie. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, he's the most electric rookie we've probably ever had. We're gonna get into that in a second. So he's gonna finish the season with a four point two R WAR, which is baseball reference WAR. It's a little different than F WAR, which is Fangraphs WAR. And they do some different calculations. So I don't really care which one you use if you're looking at war. If it's 
baseball reference or fan graphs, but try to, I just try to stay consistent with what we're using. So then you're not comparing one war to another because wars are different, but 22 home runs, 16 stolen bases. He's going to come short, come up short on that 2020 season, which is too bad. And a 151 OPS plus, which is one of the new like preeminent uh, sabermetric stats to evaluate a player's contributions to his team. So OPS plus is uh, you take a player's on base percent, the on base plus slugging percentage, and normalizes the number across the entire league. It accounts for external factors like ballparks, and then adjusts so a score of 100 is league average. So. Every year, no matter what year it is, no matter what everybody's doing, 100 is always average for OPS plus, and 150, which is basically what Tatis is at, it's tough to say, is 50% better than league average. So, as a rookie, as a 20-year-old facing major league pitching for the first time, he was 50% better than the average player. That's amazing. It's great. It's very clearly a kind stat for, for Tatis, but when you're looking at all the stats for Tatis, what isn't a kind stat? Cause he just does everything well. Like there's not one area where he's deficient D- defensively. Maybe he was a little, he had a couple, um, a little too many airs this year. He, he had some issues throwing the ball to first and he gets, uh, but he gets to everything. His range is incredible. His footwork's great. He's got the, he's got a cannon. Like he's going to play a great shortstop going forward. He just needs to tighten up the throws a little bit and it doesn't help that, um, I do I hammer Hosmer too much on the show? I feel like I do already. But before we keep going with Tatis, Hosmer at first base, stat of the day. You caught me. I like to break a mental sweat too. Hosmer minus one point four defensive WAR this season. We were checking out other first basemen across D WAR, and for first baseman, it's not really a a generous stat that's gonna provide a lot of defensive value because it's one of the easier defensive positions to play. Ron Washington will disagree with me from Moneyball, but that's kind of where you stick the players like Pete Alonso, like who don't, who can't play in the outfield, don't have the range. First base is an easier position to be average at than almost any other position. And Hosmer is a minus 1.4 defensive war, which is pretty bad. Most so he's losing us baseball games. It seems like his defense. most first basemen are right around zero. Like even, okay, so Votto is minus 0.2. I think Freeman was minus 0.7. Um, Matt Olson, who won a gold glove there last year, is 0.8. Everybody's kind of within the one to minus one range, and the exceptional guys are in the positive. Hosmer's minus 1.4, and he's never had a positive D-War season in his career. That's your stat of the day. Four gold gloves, though. Four gold gloves. <laughs> but so I was saying he's not providing any support to Tatis and picking throws or I don't think he has quite the range that he even used to, but enough, enough shitting on Hosmer. Uh, if Tatis had stayed healthy, I think he had the chance to be one of the most exciting rookies in baseball history, not just this season, like up there with Griffey up there with a rod up there with McGuire, who has the rookie record for home runs in a season. No, ma, no It's, it's kind of makes me sick that Pete's just going to cruise to this thing now. And, Tatis, who was on pace for one of the better rookie seasons ever, is already done. It's just sad. So we mentioned, among other rookie standouts, like we think of Alex Rodriguez, although uh, looking up his baseball reference, he didn't play consistently enough in his rookie season and kind of exploded in his next season. Griffey had a 3.3 war his rookie year. And then the standout that you mentioned was Nomar Garcia Parra, who in his first full season, he, he had a cup of coffee in 96 and then was up for good in 97, finished eighth in the MVP voting, won the rookie of the year, all with a 7.6 war. Which That's a monster rookie Amazing. Year. And playing shortstop too. So similar to Tatis. So Tatis is going to finish with a 4.2 war in just 84 games. So about half a season. So if you, pro- if you project that out, I'm no, I didn't major in math. I took math topics senior year. That would be an point for war, assuming he played 168 games. Like Is that how that works? Yeah. That's that? Yeah, I'm good at that. <laughs> uh, now it's not 168 game schedule, but roughly he'd have an eight war, which, but that's the issue with him is you got to stay healthy. And Alonzo through 122 games so far has a 4.1. And then I kind of did this thing where I went back in time over the last several years of guys who have won National League Rookie of the Year. And looked at how many games they played and how much war they accumulated during that. So do you want to tell me who you think since 2010 
had the most war in a rookie of the year winner in the National League. Acuna Jr. So last year? Yeah. No. He had a 4.1 R war campaign in 111 games, but it is not even in, not even second, not even third. Cody Bellinger. Bellinger won it in 2017. He had a 4.2 war in 132 games. No, he did not. So going back further, 2016, since we're going in order here, Seager had a 5.9. That was a really good season from Seager. Played almost the whole year. Chris Bryant in 2015 had a 6.1. So even better. He was a borderline MVP candidate that year. I think he won MVP in 16. In 2014, it was Jacob deGrom. He started 22 games, had a 3.5. 2013, Jose Fernandez. This is your winner. 25 games. Do you remember how good he was that rookie year? Yeah. 6.7 war wow. from, from a starting pitcher, which is hard to do. RIP. And was one of the most promising players in baseball and then, yeah, tragically was killed. Uh, Harper in 2012 had a 5.2 war. Kimbrell, weirdly, uh, in 2011 had a 2.4. As a closer? War, as a closer and robbed Vance Worley of this award. Vance Worley started, was a starting pitcher that year. Not the sexiest guy, but had a 3.5 war as a rookie. And they gave it to Kimbrell. It's a closer. I thought that was ridiculous. And then 2010, Buster Posey had a 3.9 war. He robbed Jason Hayward, who was the right fielder for the St. Louis Cubs. I don't remember. Braves. Braves, yeah. For some reason, I can't keep track of when he was on the Braves, the Cubs, or the Cardinals. He's been everywhere. It's just kind of, they all wear red, maybe. I don't know what it is. but And he's fallen off a cliff. He's truly terrible. Making a ton of money, though. But- Cashing them checks, as a yep. uh, boy Jalen Rose would say, was kind of always perceived as this great right fielder. He had he's had really good defensive seasons in the past, and that's why he got paid and showed some promise early in his career with the bat too. And a six point four WAR season is second on this list. That's a really high number, and he didn't even win the award in twenty ten. He's only behind Fernandez in twenty thirteen, and then Bryant in twenty fifteen. The fan base has never been higher on a player. in the history of San Diego sports. No, he's captured our imaginations and made us want to come to the ballpark and watch games. Him and Machado. Machado, not even so much. We were excited when we got Machado. He brought the whole sugarcane chop. Now they're even doing it throughout the whole minor league. Like He kind of just rejuvenated the whole system. He's going to be a leader on the team. You can tell already. Already at 20. That's amazing. What did you think besides – I mean we're, we're talking about what he did well he did a lot of stuff really well. Obviously, he did pretty much everything well except stay healthy. What do you think he needed to work on? That there there were some you know mistakes he he made in the base paths, things he needs to work on. The defense we talked about needs to tighten up, he needs to stay healthy. What else did you see that or what specifically do you think that we need to kind of instill in him the coaching staff needs to put into his head going into next season? Yeah, I mean, there's not much you can do. He's I think he did what? the he's he did the Harper thing when Harper first came up, which is ultra aggressive all the time, and it kind of worked against him a little bit. It's hard to teach you to not be ultra aggressive, but maybe it's something that he needs to work on just to stay healthy. Yeah, you're too valuable. Maybe we don't need you tagging up on that ball hit to second base to try to score, or maybe you don't need to be trying to steal these bases in this situation when we're up five runs or down five runs or um. He, he That's makes so all hard this, to instill in a I player, know. though. When, and you hate to say it because yeah. you like – most of the, my critique of players today is that they don't try hard enough and they're not running out balls. And Machado is a prime example of this. He doesn't run hard to first base ever. Machado and, hustles. Uh, and I would never want to try to tell that to Tatis, but it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if he was a little more careful about his body. Especially because things, you know, back injuries, back issues. The Padres need him to stay healthy. So you he's, gotta, he's the best player on the team. Just tell him to tone it down a little. And we talked about Corey Seager earlier. We, in his amazing war season, his rookie year, 5.9 war, I think it was. Um, he's kind of been forgotten the last two years because he can't stay, on, stay healthy on the field. And I don't want that to turn into Tatis. So it's, it's, I don't know what you do with him. Um, I don't want there to be more off days for him because I don't think that's what's going to do it. I think it's going to be an attitude adjustment, not give him an extra off day a week because the injury can happen at any time. It needs to it needs to be a, like kind of a 
a re- a switch that gets flipped in his brain that like, okay, don't stretch this. Like, we don't need a triple here. Just take the double, you know? Right. But at the same time, he's the guy that's getting the, the Padres on SportsCenter with sick plays. I don't know what doing to do. that. Yeah, I don't know what to do because it's a, it's a real catch-22. It's an issue. We just got to hope for the best. Hope for the he's going to go out there, continue to hustle and hopefully not get injured. Well, we didn't, we didn't hit the on today's show stuff. Cause we got sidetracked really quickly by rookie of the year and by the Tatis injury. And we had a whole bunch of stuff going on there, but on today's show, we're going to talk about Fernando Tatis jr. Which we just did. And we're also going to talk about some of the under the radar prospects or maybe not even officially prospect prospects in the organization that happen to be having good years. So we talk about the top 10 guys a lot. We talk about even some of the top 15, top 20 guys a lot. We've, in the last few episodes, discussed you know guys like Joey Cantillo or Ty France, guys that are making waves or moving up or contributing to the Major League Club in some capacity. But we wanted to shine a spotlight on some of the under-the-radar guys who are having good seasons, but maybe aren't necessarily ever going to make the pros. What did Ty France finish batting average-wise in AAA? Now that he's called up, he's not going to go back with Tatis being out the whole year. Playing second base now looks like at least every day for the time being. He finished with a just, I mean, terrible. 392 batting average. Not even what Tony Gwynn hit in 1994. So So he had a bad last week. He must have. But 27 home runs plus the two. He's hit in the majors this year. He's at 29. He'll get 30. And he had a 471 on base percentage, and he's really not hitting yet. At the we major- should send him back down, try to get that <laughs> average above 400. And uh, I want to make sure the Chihuahuas make some noise in the playoffs. Still hasn't figured out what he's doing at the major league level yet, but I think we saw this with Luis Arias. You are gonna just let him leave him out there, like this is what I wanted to do a few weeks ago, was just let him fail for a little bit and get him as many at-bats as possible, get him comfortable playing on a major league infield and facing major league pitching. And he can forget, not have to worry that he's ever going to get sent down for some reason or lose playing time. Cause I don't know. Kinsler is trying to steal time from Greg Garcia or um, even Ty France coming back up and Ty France. I think they're going to do the same things with, or I hope they do. And Andy green, it's up to him. Just play France at second base every day. And, Play Urias is short. If he if he sucks, he sucks. But let him try to fight through it for a little bit. Maybe give him an off day here and there if he needs it. But like, hey, Ty, you're going to be the second baseman going forward. You're going to get a real good look this year. Don't worry about anything. You you hit 400 at the minor league level this year. You're you can hit. I know you can. The ball is the same. You should be able to hit for power. Just relax. They're not playing for anything. No, and that's why I think there's you're seeing less pressure on. Urias and Mejia and guys that started really slowly are starting to kind of round into form. And I don't think it's coincidence that the pottery season is we're no, they're no longer fighting for a wild card. There's less pressure on all the players to overperform. So they're just out there playing and you're seeing them hit a lot better. Urias and Francisco Mejia at least are hitting a lot better. Good contribution. Let's get to <laughs> what am I supposed to say? <laughs> Let's get to some of the guys that we like that are flying under the radar. I never heard of half of these guys, and the ones I do know are way past the prime. Most of these guys never had a prime. This guy here is dead. So who's someone that you like? I like Yvonne Castillo, second baseman for the Sod Poodles. From Santiago, Dominican Republic. Uh, He's a Little switch hitter down there, second baseman. Picked up from... He's bounced around a little bit. He started with the Indians, I think, right? Indians, been around Blue Jays organization. They picked him up as an international free agent. Then they they released him, and the Blue Jays picked him up, and then the Padres signed him via free agency also, minor league free agency. This year. Yeah. And he's been in AA all year. Um, He's a good fielder. He only has like two, I believe, two or three errors this year, which is consistent for playing the whole season he's batting 314 with seven home runs 
Um, and he has 13 stolen bases. So he's having a good little season down there. Does a little bit of everything. Yeah. Well, and he's not, he wasn't in my top 30 midseason rankings, but things change pretty quickly in the prospect world. And I'll, when I redo my rankings in the offseason, guys like we mentioned, Joey Cantillo, who was not ranked, has flown up prospect. He'll definitely be in the top 15, probably. Ivan Castillo having a nice little year and had an, had a decent little year last year at, at Dunedin Dunedin and for the it's in the Blue Jays organization there it's her high affiliate um, I never know how to pronounce that Dunedin yeah I mean he hasn't text us yeah he hasn't really had any good numbers besides not a, not a last big power year. guy this is the problem with prospects and I you look at prospects from a few different angles there's like their real life value um, are they an organizational guy or are they going to be a guy that's a bench guy or are they going to be a first division guy or second division guy? Can they be a starter? What do they do really well? That's going to make them stand out. Defense can be a big, big factor in that. And then there's uh, the fantasy numbers that stand out. So like, does he hit for a really high average? Maybe he's this year. Yeah. He, he's hitting for a high average. Does he hit any, does he hit for power? No, not really. Does he run a lot like a little bit, but not, not an exciting number. Like last year, he was 50% on stolen bases. And this year, he's improved. He's 13 for 17, which is nice. And the on-base isn't very high, so he doesn't walk very much. It concerns me when you're an older hitter. So he's 24 at double-A. He's hitting 316, yeah. But he has 16 walks on the whole season, which is a really low number, and 380 at-bats. So 396 plate appearances. Right. He's walking... He's walked... 16 times. That's, it's a really low number. So unless you are a Tony Gwynn ass hitter, you gotta, you gotta learn to walk. Cause that's one of the most important things you can do is get on base and you're going to get exposed the higher up you go to better pitching. And teams are going to take advantage. We saw this with Francisco Mejia, who doesn't know how to walk. He swings at everything. Pitchers at this level are going to eat you alive. Right. So you got to tighten up your zone, tighten up uh, the, your pitch selection and take your free bases when they offer them to you. This is the majors. You're not going to get by on just your contact skill alone. It's Ivan Castillo. It's Yeah, he's having a pretty good season, unfortunately for him. Second base, shortstop, middle infield. Potter's middle infield is loaded. Loaded. So he might be kind of pigeonholed. Well, we'll see what he does. Within the organization. Um, you can never have too much talent, especially middle infield. And maybe... Guy like him, guy like Ty France, they're used as trade chips in the future for stuff that the Padres might need. So pitching, bullpen, outfield. It's funny, we we had too many outfielders at the beginning of the season, and now I think we're still looking for outfielders. Right. That's what happens when your outfield sucks. Franchi coming back. Fran- When's that going to happen? Do you know? Probably next year. Let's get to one of my guys who I had ranked – number 26 in the Padres organization midseason. And my MLB.com had him at 16. And yesterday, August 17th, he stood out to me. And it's a guy I've followed for a while that deserves a spot on this list. And it is Gabriel Arias. So last year, or uh, I'm sorry, yesterday he had, he had a four-hit night, three RBIs, two triples, and a home run for Lake Elsinore. So really good night for him. That's got to feel really good. He's quietly come on and reestablished himself as a legit shortstop prospect for the Padres. And he started the the year off a little slow first month hitting sub 250. Last year he had a really bad season at Fort Wayne. He hit 240 the whole season. I projected him last year to be one of these emerging young players that was going to stand out and impress a lot of people and be a top 100 prospect in the majors. And he really fell on his face. It was his first, the first time he had gotten 200 plus at bats in the pros, uh, didn't hit for any power, didn't run much, didn't get on base, struck out a ton. And I just had to set him aside for a little bit. And then this year he was promoted to high A to start the year, which I thought was aggressive for him considering he was 18 and really struggled in low A. Uh, Why not leave him in low A for a little bit, but they moved him up to Elsinore. He's been the shortstop all season Hitting 306 with 14 home runs. And now this is the Cal League. It's Lake Elsinore. 
there's we've seen the storm put up 10 runs in the ninth inning before that happened a couple weeks ago with two outs with two outs so the the league is known for scoring a lot of runs and the storm are known for putting up a lot of runs but still for a guy who's never done it before he's 6'1 200 pounds he's from venezuela he's never hit for power before in his career so it's nice to see him figure out the stroke but he's in for power for the first time. He's running a little bit. It's not going to be a big part of his game, I don't think. He's not walking much either. He needs to work on his walk rate a little bit. He's got he has 24 walks and 421 at bats. So it's not. I'd like to see that number double next year. But kind of doing everything well. I'm playing a really good shortstop, and the issue is, is he going to get caught by C.J. Abrams? Right now, he's above C.J. Abrams. In the organizational rankings, he's he's playing at high A, which is a level above Abrams, and Abrams is probably going to start next year in low A, although they could be aggressive with him and move him to high A. And maybe Arias is the the, the shortstop for the Sod Poodles next year, and they move him up with Xavier Edwards together, and they, they become a tandem. But um, the infield, the middle infield's loaded. He When he was coming out of... Uh, Venezuela. He was in that 2016 international class that is mentioned so much with Adrian Morajon and Michelle Baez and a bunch of these other guys that the Padres signed internationally and spent all that money on. He was the number four prospect in that class. He was a stud and he could play defense at short. He has the arm for it. He has the hands, the foot, everything you want from him at shortstop. And he's projected to hit for a high average. So He's the guy that has reestablished himself as the as a minor league prospect, as a dude, and I'm going to have to move him up my rankings a lot in the offseason. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see him versus C.J. Abrams, as you mentioned. Yeah, luckily, where they're going to put them next Luckily, year. he got into the system before Abrams is going to, and he's going to stay ahead of him for a little bit. Even though he's younger than Abrams. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what happens when you sign as a 16, 17-year-old right. international free agent. Uh, who is your second guy? We, we're going to do two each here. So who's your second player? This is a all-time name, this prospect. Hall of, the Potteries have some really good names, so careful what you... First name, Lake. Lake yeah, Bocker. It's a great start. Okay, Lake Bocker. I mean, in a system that has Tucupita, Marcano, and Henry Henry, it's hard to stand out for your name, but Lake does a good job. Never heard anyone with the first name Lake. Me neither. It's a great name. I've heard River. Potteries had a guy, River Stevens, for a while. I remember him. River's a solid name. Little River Band. What's more hippie, River or Lake? Oof. Whose parents did more shrooms at a... Well, Lake is from Wisconsin. Okay. Uh, he went to Wisconsin Whitewater. His parents were at Woodstock, for sure. Probably. Wisconsin Whitewater, D3 school. So, interesting fact about him. He played football his freshman and sophomore year. He was a punter and kicker on nice. the team. True so athletes. That's where they play. Didn't play baseball. He played baseball in high school, got a little bigger in the weight room from football, and then his sophomore year, he went back to the baseball team. Um, and from there, the Padres drafted him in 2016 in the fifth round. And this year, he... Has been doing pretty well. He hasn't had overall great numbers, but this year he's seven and four with a three six eight ERA. He has four pitches. His fastball sits around ninety five. He's got slider, changeup, curveball, and kind of a ground ball pitcher. Kind of an organizational depth guy. Yeah, honestly, he's not. He's never been mentioned in a pottery top thirty list that I, I haven't looked at a few. In the last several months, because I was working on my own a lot, but MLB.com doesn't have him. I'm sure Baseball America, Keith Law, like these guys. No, he's not going to be ever a top 10 prospect, but like we've seen guys kind of emerge that weren't necessarily uh, Nick top, Markavich. Top Oof. What is it? Nick Margavicious. <laughs> Margavicious. All right. There you that. go. Have to leave it in. Uh, yeah, Mark Gavichis kind of came out, of, but, but then again, he was bad too. And then he's back in Double A, doing bad, yeah, poorly. That's that's Nick M for you, yeah. But like, 
I was going to say Lucchese wasn't really a highly touted prospect, but he was still drafted a lot higher than our boy Lake was. I think Lucchese was like a fourth-round pick or something. Yeah, and the nice thing about Lake, too, is right-hander, since Potters are loaded on the lefty front. I don't think that matters, but you'd like to think it does. 6'3", 215, so bigger, big right-handed frame. And if you're holding your own... Okay, so he's 24. He's, He's probably a little old for the level. At double A, but um, we've talked about triple A before that you don't want to send pitchers to triple A because it's a bloodbath. Right. But if he's holding his own at triple A or double A as a 24 year old, um, he started the year at high A actually, but he's had a solid season and he's striking out uh, more than a batter per nine. The walks are high. He's, he's over four walks per nine, which is the thing holding him back right now. So everything looks okay. To me, um, just box score scouting because I haven't I haven't seen this kid in person or any video of him. But the walks, you, you got to fix the walks, or you're gonna have a tough time advancing. Like Nick Margavichus got a chance because he doesn't walk anybody, right? So I would say tighten up the walks. The strikeouts are gonna figure themselves. If you're walking less guys, the strikeouts are gonna figure themselves out, and the whip will figure itself out if you just cut down the walks. But he's having a good season. Good for him. My second player, we're going to talk about a I mean, under-the-radar prospect, but a former top prospect. So when he was drafted, he's a second-round pick in 2014 out of Gainesville, Georgia High School. Georgia's been pumping out so many good players. It's Michael Geddes. So Geddes was drafted in uh, 2014. The scouting report on him coming out of college was kind Our of... high a, school. Sorry, yeah, you're right. So the scouting report coming on him coming out of high school was high upside guy. And that's what this is pre Preller, but Preller loves to draft the the athletic, superstar potential, uh multiple tools that grade out as elite. So he was he's a seventy speed guy coming out of high school. He was a sixty plus power guy coming out of high school. He was Projected to be a first-round pick that slid a little bit because he he disappointed in his, in his senior year spring. 6'1", 200 pounds, righty thrower, righty batter. Georgia commit, bat speed was incredible. Up there with some of the guys that you think about, tremendous, tremendous bat speed. Clint Frazier comes to mind as a recent pick. He was a 2013 draft pick also out of Georgia. The arm was a plus tool in the outfield. So there was lots of really exciting things to like about Michael Geddes. Power-speed combo. You absolutely love if you play fantasy, too. Like You can dream on, on these kind of guys. But fell on his face when he got to the upper minors. So he, he did okay. Lower minors, low, low A, high A. Um, didn't get a lot of opportunity, injuries and stuff. But when he got his first taste of double A... Last year, he was he was coming off a season in high A, which he he struggled, and I, th- I think they wanted to just test him in double A. Hit two thirty with fifteen home runs and a sub three hundred on base percentage as a twenty two year old in double A with seventeen stolen bases. Yeah, but that's not going to cut it. So like your fifteen home runs, your seventeen steals, those are okay, but he, he's he's killing you everywhere else. Right. And so like I think of guys like there's a guy in the Dodgers organization, Jaron Kendall who was a number one pick a couple years ago, he puts up the home run numbers, he puts up the stolen base numbers, absurd numbers. But if he's killing you everywhere else, you can't play him. Right. And it's really hard to promote him. And you can't move him up against higher levels of pitching because he's only going to get worse. He has to prove himself against... If he can't hit 240 against double-A pitching, then what do you do with him? So what do you do with him? They moved him up to triple-A this year. And... I don't love that because we've talked about how the triple a ball is different this year and everyone's hitting home runs and he's hit 30 this year. So that's why he's, he kind of jumped out to me. He doubled his home run total from last year. Good for him. I mean, that's really exciting. He's not running as much or as successfully and the on-base percentage is still sub 300. So I'm acknowledging him because he's kind of reestablished himself as a prospect to keep an eye on. He's still only 23 years old. I haven't given up on him totally. He's he's probably going to make my top 30 in the offseason. I kind of see him as a 
younger Renfro. He has the arm for right field. And but Renfro, I've mentioned on the pod before, hit 300 in AAA. Is a well, he was a, a little older, but maybe if they if they have Michael repeat the level next year, he can get that average up a little bit. It doesn't take long for a, a young guy like this who has all these tools and the pedigree to make a a change, something clicks, and then all of a sudden you explode. So Edward Olivares is a guy I thought of that kind of put it all together for the first time this year and has become a prospect. Jorge Ona, who they signed in that 2016 international class, kind of wasn't kind of wasn't doing anything his whole career until this year, put it together, prospect again. Geddes is like right on the fence for me. He's his contact issues have been throughout he's he's never been able to have high contact rates. He's he's struggled with contact his entire career. But if he's hitting home runs and he's still stealing bases and he's throwing people out in right field, there, there's a chance for him to make a, some adjustments. We, we've talked about the hitting staff at AAA, El Paso, is, has done wonders for guys. And maybe if he repeats the level next year, he's 24, he's still fairly young, starts to put it together and starts making more contact, get that average up to 60, 270. Now, you're, now he's a dude. Right. I don't see him coming up next year either. No, not next year. Deadlocked kind of corner outfielders with the Padres. Yeah, definitely not an option next He's year. He's about two or three years away. If the Padres were really bad, I could see him being an option. The, the Royals just called up Bubba Starling earlier this year, former number one pick, and kind of reminds me a little of Michael Geddes. He's a toolsy high school outfielder who just kind of never put it together, could hit for power, could run, could play great defense, but contact issues. Right. Contact issues are a killer, and that's the danger of taking the athletic guys who play multiple sports in high school and don't focus on baseball, Taylor Trammell, you have contact issues because you're not used to seeing the pitching. Trammell had a nice home run this week. You see that? What's he hitting these days? Nice home run. Yeah. Anyway, I a couple adjustments to his – Swing up that contact rate, start hitting for a little bit of a bad woof, start hitting for a little better of an average. He's right back on the prospect map. Last thing we want to get into today before we GTFO is Baseball America tweeted out their new organizational rankings for prospects. So they ranked all the teams in order, 1 through 30, of who they thought had the best farm systems in baseball. Padres were preseason number one, and now they're not. And I took I took issue with that. Well, that's because we've graduated, guys. True. So, number one is the Rays. Number two is the Padres. Number three is the White Sox. Number four is the Braves. And number five is the Dodgers. And I thought that was relevant and worth talking about on the show because the Dodgers are the best team in the National League. And they also have the number five system in baseball. And so the Padres, who are going to be trying to compete with them in the division starting next year, we hope, and into the next several years within the short, the short-term future, next five years, that's going to be the, the fight for the division is between these two teams, you would think. Most people assume that. But the Dodgers aren't going anywhere. They're really good and really young right now. And they have some of the best young talent and the minors that we've seen. And if you've been watching Potter games again, when they play the Dodgers, we've already seen a couple of them. Dustin may Dustin may looks legit. Alex Verdugo is a rookie this year, having a good season. He could improve next year. Gavin Lux. Will everyone S- wants. And Will Smith, who's been handed the, the keys to the catcher position. He's, he's been better than either the Padres catchers this year by a mile. He's hitting for average. He's throwing guys out. Nobody runs on this. The kid's insane. Will Smith. Um, he's had a great year. So we want to talk about who on these teams are the standouts, what makes the Rays system better than the Potteries, and how are the Dodgers still so good? So for the Rays, it looks kind of to me like it's a quantity over quality, although according to Baseball America, they have two players in the top 10. And it's number one overall. That's a good start. Wander Franco, who's going to be a third baseman shortstop option for for the Rays going forward. Not in for a ton of power so far this year, but 
he's 18 years old. So no one else is, no one does what he's doing. He's, he's a generational guy similar to Tatis, what Tatis did. He's from the Dominican. He's switch hitter stud. Absolute stud. No one, I don't think anyone else has another, a, a different guy at number one. There's a few guys in the conversation. Mackenzie Gore, it's hard to put a pitcher there, but with with Vlad gone, with Tatis gone, it, it, it's it's Franco. There's no one else you can consider. Great nickname, too. El Patron. El Patron, that's a sick name. But Luis Roberts, an option. Joe Adele is an option, but I think it's unanimously Wander Franco. They also have, at number 34, Matt Libertor, who's a high school lefty that the Padres, I remember, we were considering taking him a couple years ago in the draft. Ronaldo Hernandez, a catcher at 55. Vidal Brujan at 58, who reminds me a lot of CJ Abrams. He's going to be, he's going to be a second baseman going forward, but elite contact guy, elite speed guy, uh, future superstar. I see the same. I see a lot of CJ Abrams in him. Not Xavier Edwards. Probably a higher ceiling than Xavier. Although Xavier Edwards just continues to do everything that is asked of him. Right. So I'm not going to limit Xavier <laughs> Edwards. Brent Honeywell, who's injured right now and has kind of been injured for the last two years, has he's really had tr- st- trouble staying healthy. They have him at 61 still. Shane Baz, high school pitcher they selected a couple seasons ago, um, where they got from the Pirates, actually, in that Chris Archer trade. Nate Lau at 91. Shane Baz, I'm sorry, was at 76. So they have eight guys in the top 100. Stars that I see, Wander Franco, obviously. Uh, Brennan McKay uh, pitched against the Padres a couple nights ago. I didn't see a, a ton in him. He had a bad night. He's he's a control guy who doesn't walk anyone, and he just happened to walk everybody he saw against the Padres the other day. But star potential still. And then Vidal Brujan I threw in there is a, a potential star guy, um, especially for fantasy power, speed, average, middle infield guy. Padres, who do they have in the top 100? It's Mackenzie Gore, who they have at number four. Luis Patino, who I think they're a little down on at 32. Taylor Schrammel, who they're probably still a little high on at 39. Adrian Morajon at 43. And C.J. Abrams at 47. No Xavier Edwards. It's kind of surprising. I'm a little surprised, yeah. With Urias and who else graduated Paddock graduated with Naylor graduated with Urias and Naylor graduating. Kind of thought you'd see. I thought I'd see Xavier Edwards. Keith Law had in there. Edwards in his top fifty. In his top fifty, yeah. And BA doesn't have him in his top, in the top 100. Wow. Yeah. Different list, different guys collaborating. Keith Law does his, uh, his by himself, and BA is a kind of a conglomeration of different writers and guys. Well, hopefully, BA is wrong. Hopefully, so. Five guys in there. I see three stars. I see Gore, who's a stud, a future ace, one of the best pitchers in baseball if he stays healthy. I still have Taylor Taylor Tramiel in there as a future star. Shocker from you. Well, I've, I've been down on him this year, and he's deserved to be having me down on him. He hasn't performed, but the skills are still there, and I I hope he can turn it around. He's he can hit for average. He's not one of the. He's not Michael Geddes with the bat. He hits for power. Hits for speed. I still see a future star, all-star at least, if he can figure it out next year. And then C.J. Abrams I also have as a star. So Not Patino, your boy. I do love Patino, but I don't see star with him. I see future number two starter gotcha. who's right in that 180 innings, 3.3 ERA, 200, 200 strikeouts, but I, I don't, that's not a star for me. Star, you got to be above and beyond that. But it, for the Rays, they have more guys, but I think the Padres have just as much potential with the stars. And then let's go to the Dodgers, who we had at number five. Gavin, Lux, if you've been paying attention to what Gavin Lux has done this year, he's taken his game to another level. He was a top fifty guy coming into the season, I think, everywhere, and I was all in on him. I was doing before this show. I was doing. Um, I was uh, cutting my teeth doing a Dodgers Angels prospect show in LA for Believe, and I was on Gavin Lux from the beginning. He's. I didn't think he was going to be this studly this fast though. Fifty. Yeah, the fit- trade line 
trade deadline, everybody wanted him. Oh, yeah. The Dodgers said he was untouchable. Rightfully so. Why would the Dodgers trade a 21-year-old who's raked at AA and AAA this year? He had a 50-game hit streak just snapped that started on June 8th while he was in AA. He hit 417 during that stretch with 13 home runs and 41 RBIs in 37 games. Play shortstop. They're they're going to probably experiment with him at second base going forward because of Corey Seager. But Corey Seager hasn't been able to stay healthy. Maybe Gavin Lux moves over to shortstop at some point. He grades out as a average to above average shortstop defensively, so that's that's not an issue for him. Been hitting for a ton of power this year. Been hitting for more average than I ever imagined he could. I always liked him, but now he's a star. It just it just kind of came out of nowhere this year. And the Dodgers took him in the first round, but kind of late first round pick. Nobody expected this. And the Dodgers, the rich, this is an example of how the rich get richer. They, they don't need him at all. And I wouldn't be shocked if, I mean, you, you don't want to trade these guys ever. But if the Dodgers were able to find a way to trade him for something else that they really need, they don't have to have Gavin Lux. But if he, if he adapts to second base well, Seager Lux up the middle is one of the best combos in baseball. Yeah, that's going to be a tough look for division rival. The Baseball America had him at number nine in the country. Dustin May, number 25. He's been pitching lights out. We've seen him pitch this year against the Padres. They call him Ginger Guard. Is that that too soon for you? With the hard ER. Yeah. He's been really good. He's had a 265 ERA with 15 strikeouts and 17 innings. 105 whip in a microscope. This is what I like to see the most is a 1.06 walks per nine. Great for the culture, though. It is, yeah. You like to see those people <laughs> thrive. Kiva Ruiz is number 49. He started this, this year a little slow in double A. Has hit for average so far in triple A, but who hasn't? Except for Michael Geddes, I guess. Uh, Ty France hit 400 in triple A. So it doesn't mean a ton to hit for average. He hasn't hit for power this year, which has been weird. So Kiebert was one of the best catching prospects in baseball coming into the season. Got his taste of double A last year and is still an elite option at catcher for me. He's been overshadowed by Will Smith, who just blew by him in rankings. Although he's next on the list. Uh, Baseball America has Will Smith at 53. So... I'd like to know how they still have Kiebert Ruiz ahead of Will Smith when Will Smith has come up. These rankings were adjusted August 14th. And how has Will Smith not graduated? If Uris has graduated well, and Naylor? you need 150 at-bats. Okay. And he still only had 76 at-bats this year, which is seems like it's low, but somehow he's been the starter for, I feel like, a few weeks now, and he still only has 76 at-bats. But I guess it takes a while to accumulate. So he's still eligible for the list, and he's the fourth guy in the Dodgers system, um, according to Baseball America, that make the top 100. For stars, I see two. Gavin Lux, obviously, has become a star. He already is. And Dustin May is kind of on the fence for me as a star, but because of his size and where he plays and the nickname, the hair already, the flowing red locks, it... If he's good, I think he just becomes a star. Right. So there, there's star potential for a couple of those guys. And when you're looking at all three teams together, Rays, Padres, Dodgers, they're all really good systems. And they're the Padres just graduated a ton of guys, and they're still number two, which is insane. But it's worrisome to see the Dodgers having so much talent in their minors already, and they're going to win over 100 games this year. Yeah, Dodgers aren't going anywhere for a while. No, they're... They're still really young. Verdugo, Lux, Seager, Will Smith, Kiber Ruiz, Bellinger, who's going to be MVP this year, I think. And they'll have money to spend. And yeah. they have money. And if they want to trade a couple of these younger guys for, I don't know, Garrett Cole or uh, Aaron Judge, or who knows, like, well, they didn't do that this year, but they can get anybody they want. They have the money and the prospects to trade for anyone they want. Um, Bold move. This just popped in my head. What do you think about this move? Tra- well, they're not going to do it now, but trade the house for Mike Trout. The Angels would never do that. Ship him, Angels would never ship him that. across the freeway or move up the freeway to L.A. Same city, right? Ugh, spare me. <laughs> um, they're like an hour and a half apart. 
the Dodgers have stars in the minor league system that are ready to contribute. I think the Rays are one because not only do they have a couple guys in the top 10, including the number one overall guy, which just gives you a ton of points is a, is a organizational rankings. They have eight in the top 100, which we've seen in the past. If you're in that seven to 10 range of guys that are in the top 100, your system is probably gonna be number one. Right. And then the Padres who don't have the depth anymore because they've promoted so many guys still have five guys all in the top 50 for baseball America. They're, they're missing Xavier Edwards. They're missing some other guys who are probably just outside the top 100, but to still have five in the top one, top 50, that's really good. That's a strong system. And then the Dodgers four in the top 100, uh, one of them in the top 10 Gavin Lux. If I was going to pick, he'd be second among all the, all the prospects listed in here for me. Behind Wander. Beh- behind Wander Franco. It would, it hurts me. You put him above I Gore. I think Franco Lux is closer than their rankings indicate. So number one, Franco to number nine, Lux. Lux is a lot closer and has shown at upper levels that he hits for average and for power and can also play in the middle infield. Franco is a shortstop right now, but they're not sure about that. I could talk myself into taking Lux. If we were doing a draft of just these players and I'm the Padres, I think I'd take Gavin Lux first. Wow. That's saying something because Gore's on here and Franco and McKay, who's a two-way guy. But I, I think I'd probably go Gavin Lux first. He's that good. Best athlete ever to come out of Wisconsin? Yeah, he's a Wisconsin guy too. And so is... Uh, who the Mets traded to the, the Mariners in that disgusting Edwin Diaz Robinson Cano trade, Jared Kalenic, who's emerged as a top twenty-five, top thirty-five prospect outfielder. Keep an eye on him. Also, Wisconsin boy. But yeah, going forward, probably Lux is going to be a, a candidate for top player at, ever out of Wisconsin. What's that list look like? Couldn't name <laughs> one other player. Well, now school. you can. Now you besides got- our boy. Lake Bacher. We've got Lake. We've got Lux. The list is list continues to grow. All right, let's get out of here for today. Good show, Wade. Please follow the Twitter account. We're at Fryer Farmhands. Tweet at us. Message us. Like us. Subscribe to the show. It's on all your favorite platforms. As always, it's on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeart. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. Please leave your comments, questions, concerns, and your rating of the show on all platforms. Getting better at that, huh? Much better. Still very slow, but you're, you're, you're there. You've been listening to the Believe and Padres Prospects on the Believe Podcast Network, San Diego's number one sports podcast network. For Wade, I'm Ryan. See you guys next week. Peace. your destination though you may find from time to time is that me yeah damn it wade without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done at granger we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.